today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. I'm the really religious guy here, and everybody needs to understand my place and my position. At every opportunity, they would cry out with these long and extended prayers with the feeling that the longer and the the louder the prayer, the closer they were to God. Perhaps you've heard people even today praying that way. You think, well, they must think that God is deaf as loud as they pray. Okay, that's a whole nother message, but uh, I can't help but think that this kind of stuff sickened the Lord. All of this pretense in the name of the Lord, and here the Lord Jesus was in their midst. Is your devotion to God or to religion? All throughout his ministry on earth, Jesus could barely turn around without a confrontation with the religious leaders. These people practiced their religion very well, and they knew scripture backwards and forwards, but they failed to understand the heart of the God who inspired it. In today's message, Pastor David challenges us to consider whether we're seeking to know God's heart or just practicing religion. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Battles and Devotions. Jeremiah shared with us that uh, if you've run with the footman, and they've wearied you out, then how can you contend with the horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted, they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? You see, Israel at that point in time, they were in relative peace. They were getting ready to, to come under oppression and, and the, 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 the attack of the foreign forces as the Babylonians came down and took them into captivity. And Jeremiah was warning them, says, look, you're you're not even doing good now in in a time of peace. What are you gonna do when the the attack comes full force against you? If you don't have, if you and I don't have strong faith right now or a certain testimony, a for sure testimony in our life for Jesus Christ, you need to realize it's not gonna get any easier. It's only going to become more and more difficult to stand for Christ. Our current political and social divisions are only a small portion, I believe, of the divide that's coming upon us. Not just to our nation, but beloved, I think, to the world as a whole. Battles are coming, and they're even here right now, that'll attack, that'll cause you uh, to be pressed in your devotion to Christ, your commitment to his word, to his kingdom's work, and to his church. We're looking this morning at the idea and the thought of battles and devotions. We're in Luke as we continue on through the book of Luke. We're gonna finish up chapter 20 this morning and move into chapter 21, just a few passages in there. But as we move here 
uh, in ourselves understanding that we're moving into what I believe to be the last of the last days, realizing that these battles are gonna become stronger, realizing that our devotion and our trust for the Savior needs to be growing deeper and stronger all the time. We look here at this portion of Luke and we realize that for Jesus, he is in the last of the last days of his physical ministry here on earth and the enemy is coming at him stronger and stronger, more intent on quieting his message and the work and the move of the gospel through him. We look at these last few days and we understand that where we're at in Luke in just a few short days, Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas. In the middle of the night, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be put on trial. He's going to be crucified in just a few days from where he's at right now. The entire week leads up to these acts of that last evening and the last day of his earthly ministry. And this vortex of evil keeps getting sharper and sharper against the message and against the man, Jesus himself. These Jewish leaders, these Pharisees, these scribes, the Sadducees, members of the Sanhedrin, they continue to look for every opportunity they can to run their schemes, to run their plans in order to be able to destroy the very one who is the way, the truth, and the life. They think that they're going to have their way. They think that all of this is within their plans. But the fact is, is the Father had planned this long ago. He knew that he was giving Christ to be crucified. It wasn't a failure of God's plan that got Christ crucified. It was the victory of God's plan that got, that got Christ crucified for us in order that the payment for our sin would be made complete. All through this last week, we see that the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, they, they questioned his authority to be able to teach in the temple, to be able to purge the temple of all these money changers. They came and they tried to question him about taxes and about honoring the government or honoring God, and he was able to give to them the understanding, man, you give to Caesars, you give to the government what's the government's, but be certain to give to God what is God's. And just as he showed the image of Caesar on that money, the understanding that we you and I have is we are created in the image of God. God's image is impressed upon us within us. And we're to give honor to God in our lives. Jesus saw right through their schemes. He wouldn't fall for their schemes. They came back and we're looking here in, in verse 39 of chapter 20. As we end up these last few verses in verse 39, we read, then some of the scribes answered and said to him, Teacher, you've spoken well. But after that, they dared not question him anymore because they knew that he was gonna turn around their questions. He, they knew that he wouldn't fall for their trickery at all. Now Jesus begins to turn the questions back to them. He begins to put them on the spot. And we read here in verse 41, and he, Jesus, said to them, how can they say that the Christ is the son of David. Well, here in Luke, it's not given as good as it is in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 22, the same event, Matthew words it a little bit different in order to help us understand a little bit better the question. But in Matthew 22, verse 41, it says that while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them saying, what do you think about the Christ, the Messiah? Whose son is he? 
You need to understand the importance of that, that question. The, the, this question is in regards to the definition and the origin of the Messiah, of the Christ, the one who's going to be and is the Redeemer of Israel and for all of mankind. More important, though, the question to the Pharisees is the question to you and I, even to this morning as we sit here. Who is the Christ? Who is the Messiah? Is he just another man? As they say, the son of David, just one of the descendants of David that turns out to be a great teacher of God's word, a great proclaimer of the message of God's kingdom who unfortunately, the end of his life was, was put on a, a, a Roman cross? Or was there something more to him? For the Pharisees, they had a really limited understanding of who Messiah would be. They, they, they had read the scripture passages. They thought they had it all figured out. But now Jesus is coming in and he's gonna throw him a curveball. He says, whose son is he? Their response, Matthew tells us their response was, oh, he's the son of David. Well, that seemed right at the time. After all, there's a lot of scripture that speaks about him being the son of David. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 11, verses one and two speak very clearly that Messiah is the offspring of David. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Well, truly this is a prophetic message of the coming Messiah. There's no doubt about it. But still, it is just an offspring of David at this point in time. We find a similar passage in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 declares, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And again, a great Prophetic passage of the coming of Messiah, but it still does not explain all that he is. At this point in time, we could see, no, he's just an offspring of the lineage of David. He's going to be a man who becomes the Messiah or the Christ. But you see, here is where the rest of the story comes in. Here is where Jesus really puts them on the spot. Jesus now gives them a twist in this whole idea of Messiah being David's son. When we go back to Luke chapter 20, we read in verse 41, Jesus said to them, how can they say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself said in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And then Jesus asked them, therefore, David calls him Lord. How is it then that he is his son? He turns the tables on these religious leaders. These Pharisees who continually stress the people by their interpretation of the word of God, now they're being stressed themselves. They're unable to come up with the answer to Jesus' question. The important thing about Jesus' question and the statement is, yes, it very clearly puts the Messiah, the Christ, into the realm of deity. And we see that most clearly even when we go back to that passage in Jeremiah and we look at the very next word, the very next verse. In his day, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he shall be called or will be called the Lord our righteousness. The Lord, and the word there is Jehovah, 
our righteousness. In the Hebrew, it is Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Definitely a declaration, a proclamation of deity upon him. He can't be just a man and have the name Jehovah, our righteousness. He has to be God, and this is what Jesus is pointing out to these Pharisees. The Pharisees didn't know how to handle that declaration, and so they, they remained quiet. At, at least for the time being, they remained quiet. They, 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 they now kind of move into a work in the shadows. They now start secretly plotting how they're going to destroy him. And Jesus turns back then at that point in time to the people and in particularly speaking to his disciples. Still in Luke chapter 20, verse 45 now, he says, then in the hearing of all the people, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes. They love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Now Jesus comes and now he's on this frontal attack against these religious leaders. Jesus now in the midst of these temple courts, he comes with a direct charge, a direct accusation against the scribes in the hearing, as it says, of all the people. And when it says all the people, I believe that includes the scribes and the Pharisees because they were trying to lean in on every word that Jesus spoke in order to find a way to bring accusation against him. So when Jesus says, beware of the scribes, I think that they were probably walking by, even at that point in time, some of those scribes. Walking by in their long flowing robes, all their re religious regalia, again, just showing how religious they truly were. They had these long robes, they had head coverings of various colors and, and, and in assorted ways, showing how religious they were. They would even have what's called phylacteries, and these phylacteries were things, boxes that they would put on the foreheads or, and or wrap on the arms, and inside those boxes were scripture passages. Now, Originally, they, they did that in order to keep the word of God close to them in order to, again, as, as, a, as, a, as a declaration, again, of their stand and their hope on the word. But it became more and more a symbol of their religion, more than their devotion. As a matter of fact, the ones that were really religious had great big boxes on their foreheads. <laughs> so you could see from a distance how religious that guy is represented a devotion to religion more than a true devotion to God. These grotesquely large, these men walk through the courtyards of the temple. They make these, as Jesus says, they, they make these great and swelling greetings to one another. They, they would be the ones who would seek out and they would expect to get the best seats in the synagogues. They would come to these feasts or these dinner parties. And they, they knew, no, my, my place is right up front. Why? Because I'm the really religious guy here and everybody needs to understand my place and my position. At every opportunity, they would cry out with these long and extended prayers with the feeling that the longer and the, the louder the prayer, the closer they were to God. Perhaps you've heard people even today praying that way. You think, well, they must think that God is deaf as loud as they pray. 
Okay, that's a whole nother message, but uh, I can't help but think that this kind of stuff sickened the Lord. All of this pretense in the name of the Lord, and here the Lord Jesus was in their midst. He said these very men, they, they seem to be so righteous, they seem to be so holy, but these are the ones that are gonna receive the greater condemnation. A part of that condemnation was due to the way that they treated widows. It's the idea that perhaps many of these men, they, they owned houses that these widows lived in. Maybe they, again, ripped them off in the rent, or maybe a widow who, who had her own house in need of financial assistance. These guys would come and buy their house from them for less than what it's worth, turn around, flip the house, uh, maybe rent it out, and all of this devouring the widow's houses. They'll receive a greater condemnation. Both Mark and Luke, in their telling of this event, they follow up Jesus' warning about the condemnation of the scribes with the events that surround the gift of a rich man into the treasury and the gift of a poor widow. I believe that these, though it breaks into a different chapter, I believe both of these things are significant. I believe that they both happen at the same time. Jesus is still seated in the temple area. Perhaps he was in the area known as the court of the women where most of the traffic was because in the court of the women, both men and women could go through there, but that was the limitation for the women. They couldn't go any further, but a lot of people traveled through that area at that point in time. Surrounding that whole complex in that area would be found these trumpet-shaped collection boxes. There were 13 of them that were given that, that, that had different designations for different offerings that they would give at that time. They would be large at the top and then they would narrow down as they emptied into a box. It's the idea of how easy it is to come up to that and you could take your coins and it'd make a lot of noise as it banged against the brass edges of the opening of that and as it traveled on down into the collection box. I believe that Jesus, as he sat there teaching the people, this perfect object lesson, connecting what he had just taught, catches his attention. Because we read these words here in chapter 21, verse one. And he, Jesus, looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor woman putting in two mites. And so he said, truly, I say to you that this poor woman has put in more than all, for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. As Jesus surveys the situation, he, he understands the hearts of all of them that are involved, the rich and the poor. More than simply knowing the, the rich man's heart, he knew and he understood, and I believe it was a very clear, a very loud declaration of the heart of this woman as she came and gave, this widow woman as she came and gave her gift. History tells us that often these rich individuals, they would come into the temple courts and they would have this entourage of, of, of friends and servants with them and they would make quite the scene as they came into the temple. Again, with their great and beautiful robes, this large entourage of people following along with them and often even as they came up to present their offerings into the treasury boxes, some one of their friends or their servants would have a shofar, the horn. Ah, look at me. 
as I present my gift to the Lord, drawing great attention to themselves, very visible to the masses. They'd come in uh, giving their gifts. Now, this poor woman, though, she didn't have an entourage with her. She didn't have any trumpet blasts. And yet, I believe that the Lord takes clear notice of this one gift of these two small coins rather than all the others in their riches. I believe that, yeah, there were trumpet blasts when this woman gave, but not earthly trumpets. I believe it was heavenly trumpets. Just again, look, look at this woman's heart. Look at this woman's devotion. The might was one of the smallest coins that they had during that time. So extremely small. As a matter of fact, uh, we were able to get one when we were in Israel. It's very, very tiny. It was the smallest coin that they had during that time, and yet it was all that she had to give. And as a matter of fact, we read here, all that she had, she gave. And yet Jesus declares that this poor widow has put in more than all. He didn't say more than any one of them. Did you catch that? He said more than all. So in other words, the culmination of all the gifts that were given there, this woman with her two little mites gave more than all of that. All of them together. Warren Wiersbe tells us in regards to this, when it comes to our giving, God sees more than the portion. He also sees the proportion. Man sees what's given, but God sees what's left. And by that, he measures the gift and the conditions of the hearts. Wearsby quotes also um, Winston Churchill through this, and he says that Churchill says, we make a living by what we get, and we make a life by what we give. The heart of an individual whether it's one who is, again, holding on to everything or whether he realizes that everything that he has is the Lord's and he is simply a steward of the gifts and of the blessings of God. All these others had given out of their abundance while she gave out of her poverty. This poor woman knew what it was to give sacrificially. In Mark's gospel record, he tells us plainly, they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Her whole livelihood. Think about that for a moment. That's like you and I going this week, cashing in all of our 401ks, all of our CDs, our, our checking account, our, our, our savings account, and bringing it and giving it to the Lord on Wednesday evening. That's why we're gonna have an offering Wednesday evening in case the Lord moves upon you. Okay, we won't do that really. But think about it for a moment. This woman gave everything that she had. What was that saying? That was saying that her absolute and total dependence was not on what she had, but on who she knew. Because of her devotion, because of her relationship with God, she knew that she could trust God for her daily bread. She didn't need to worry about tomorrow's bread. She trusted him for today. She gave all that she had. So what is it that determines the value of our gifts and our service to the Lord? Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. 
David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that the open word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word. from